Chapter Eighteen of I Say No. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I Say No by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Eighteen, Miss Ladd. Arriving at the cottage, Doctor Allday discovered a gentleman, who was just closing the garden gate behind him. Has Miss Emily had a visitor? He inquired when the servant admitted him. The gentleman left a letter for Miss Emily, sir. Did he ask to see her? He asked after Miss Letitia's health. When he heard that she was dead, he seemed to be startled and went away immediately. Did he give his name? No, sir. The doctor found Emily absorbed over her letter. His anxiety to forestall any possible discovery of the deception which had concealed the terrible story of her father's death kept Dr. Allday's vigilance on the watch. He doubted the gentleman who had abstained from giving his name. He even distrusted the other unknown person who had written to Emily. She looked up. Her face relieved him of his misgivings before she could speak. At least I have heard from my dearest friend, she said. You remember what I told you about Cecilia? Here is a letter, a long, delightful letter from the Engadine, left at the door by some gentleman unknown. I was questioning the servant when you rang the bell. You may question me if you prefer it. I arrived just as the gentleman was shutting your garden gate. Oh, tell me, what was he like? Tall and thin and dark wore a vile republican-looking felt hat, had nasty, ill-tempered wrinkles between his eyebrows, the sort of man I distrust by instinct. Why? Because he doesn't shave. Do you mean that he wore a beard? Yes, a curly black beard. Emily clasped her hands in amazement. Can it be Alban Morris? she exclaimed. The doctor looked at her with a sardonic smile. He thought it likely that he had discovered her sweetheart. Who is Mr. Alban Morris? he asked. The drawing-master at Miss Ladd's school. Dr. Alday dropped the subject. Masters at ladies' schools were not persons who interested him. He returned to the purpose which had brought him to the cottage, and produced the handbill that had been sent to him in Emily's letter. "'I suppose you want to have it back again,' he said. She took it from him and looked at it with interest. "'Isn't it strange,' she suggested, "'that the murderer should have escaped with such a careful description of him as this circulated all over England?' She read the description to the doctor. "'Name not known.' Supposed age between twenty-five and thirty years. A well-made man of small stature. Fair complexion, delicate features, clear blue eyes, hair light and cut, rather short, clean-shaven, with the exception of narrow half-whiskers, small, white, well-shaped hands. Wore valuable rings on the two last fingers of the left hand dressed neatly. That part of the description is useless, the doctor remarked. He would change his clothes. But could she change his voice? Emily objected. 
listen to this remarkably good voice smooth full and persuasive and here again ingratiating manners perhaps you will say he could put on an appearance of rudeness i will say this my dear he would be able to disguise himself so effectually that ninety-nine people out of a hundred would fail to identify him either by his voice or his manner how look back at the description hair cut rather short clean-shaven with the exception of narrow half-whiskers the wretch was safe from pursuit he had ample time at his disposal don't you see how he could completely alter the appearance of his head and face no more my dear of this disagreeable subject let us get to something interesting have you found anything else among your aunt's papers i have met with a great disappointment emily replied did i tell you how i discovered the handbill no i found it with the scrapbook and the newspaper cuttings under a collection of empty boxes and bottles in a drawer of the wash-hand stand and i naturally expected to make far more interesting discoveries in this room my search was over in five minutes nothing in the cabinet there in the corner but a few books and some china nothing in the writing-desk on that side table but a packet of note-paper and some sealing-wax nothing here in the drawers but tradesmen's receipts materials for knitting and old photographs she must have destroyed all her papers poor dear before her last illness and the handbill and the other things can only have escaped because they were left in a place which she never thought of examining isn't it provoking with a mind inexpressibly relieved good dr allday asked permission to return to his patients leaving emily to devote herself to her friend's letter on his way out he noticed that the door of the bedchamber on the opposite side of the passage stood open since miss letitia's death the room had not been used well within view stood the wash-hand stand to which emily had alluded the doctor advanced to the house door reflected hesitated and looked toward the empty room it had struck him that there might be a second drawer which emily had overlooked would he be justified in setting this doubt at rest if he passed over ordinary scruples it would not be without excuse miss letitia had spoken to him of her affairs and had asked him to act in emily's interest as co-executor with her lawyer the rapid progress of the illness had made it impossible for her to execute the necessary codicil but the doctor had been morally if not legally taken into her confidence and for that reason he decided that he had a right in this serious matter to satisfy his own mind a glance was enough to show him that no second drawer had been overlooked there was no other discovery to detain the doctor the wardrobe only contained the poor old lady's clothes the one cupboard was open and empty on the point of leaving the room he went back to the wash-hand stand while he had the opportunity it might not be amiss to make sure that emily had thoroughly examined those old boxes and bottles 
which she had alluded to with some little contempt. The drawer was of considerable length. When he tried to pull it completely out from the grooves in which it ran, it resisted him. In his present frame of mind, this was a suspicious circumstance in itself. He cleared away the litter so as to make room for the introduction of his hand and arm into the drawer. In another moment, his fingers touched a piece of paper jammed between the inner end of the drawer and the bottom of the flat surface of the wash-hand stand. With a little care, he succeeded in extricating the paper. Only pausing to satisfy himself that there was nothing else to be found, and to close the drawer after replacing its contents, he left the cottage. The cab was waiting for him. On the drive back to his own house, he opened the crumpled paper. It proved to be a letter addressed to Miss Letitia, and it was signed by no less a person than Emily's schoolmistress. Looking back from the end to the beginning, Dr. Alday discovered in the first sentence the name of Miss Jethro. But for the interview of that morning with his patient, he might have doubted the propriety of making himself further acquainted with the letter. As things were, he read it without hesitation. "'Dear ma'am, I cannot but regard it as a providential circumstance "'that your niece, in writing to you from my house, "'should have mentioned, among other events, of her school life, "'the arrival of my new teacher, Miss Jethro. "'To say that I was surprised is to express very inadequately "'what I felt when I read your letter, informing me confidentially that I had employed a woman who was unworthy to associate with the young persons placed under my care. It is impossible for me to suppose that a lady in your position, and possessed of your high principles, would make such a serious accusation as this, without unanswerable reasons for doing so. At the same time, I cannot, consistently with my duty as a Christian, suffer my opinion of miss jethro to be in any way modified until proofs are laid before me which it is impossible to dispute placing the same confidence in your discretion which you have placed in mine i now enclose the references and testimonials which miss jethro submitted to me when she presented herself to fill the vacant situation in my school I earnestly request you to lose no time in instituting the confidential inquiries which you have volunteered to make. Whatever the result may be, pray return to me the enclosures which I have trusted to your care, and believe me, dear madam, in much suspense and anxiety, sincerely yours, Amelia Ladd. It is needless to describe at any length the impression which these lines produced on the doctor. If he had heard what Emily had heard at the time of her aunt's last illness, he would have called to mind Miss Letitia's betrayal of her interest in some man unknown, whom she believed to have been beguiled by Miss Jethro, and he would have perceived that the vindictive hatred thus produced must have inspired the letter of denunciation which the schoolmistress had acknowledged he would also have inferred that miss letitia's inquiries had proved her accusation to be well founded if he had known of the new teacher's sudden dismissal from the school as things were 
he was merely confirmed in his bad opinion of Miss Jethro, and he was induced, on reflection, to keep his discovery to himself. If poor Miss Emily saw the old lady exhibited in the character of an informer, he thought, what a blow would be struck at her innocent respect for the memory of her aunt. End of chapter 18